All right, Three Circle, we're going to continue our series today, walking through the Word of God in Gideon, and uh, why would we study this ancient character? Well, we study the Old Testament and any of the characters in the Bible not to learn about those characters primarily. That's part of it, but it's not primary. The primary reason to study Gideon's life is because Gideon's going to teach us about our God. Because God does not change. Everything else has changed since Gideon's day. We have iPhones and air conditioners and stuff like that, right? I mean, the world's a different world than he lived in. But what has not changed is God. So when we see how God interacted with Gideon and his people in the Old Testament, that's teaching us how he also interacts with us. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And so therefore, learning about Gideon and how he interacted with God is unbelievably valuable to us as believers. So last week we met Gideon, right? And we understood what's going on. The people of Israel have been living in disobedience to God. They were supposed to run all the bad guys, if you will, the nations, the Midianites, the Amalekites, the Philistines, all those folks. They were on land that was not their land. It was God's land that he had promised to the children of Israel. And they were supposed to clear out the land for two reasons. Number one, because God told them to. Number two, because Here's the deal. If you let those nations hang around, these are godless nations. They had false gods. They worshiped gods like Baal. Also, most of them did child sacrifice. These are not good nations. And so God wants them to clear them out because if you allow them to stay, eventually you will at some level assimilate and maybe even acquiesce to things that they do. God wanted purity in his nation. He wanted them to be preserved to worship the true God so that that light could shine into the darkness. But the people of Israel did not do that. They stopped pushing forward to push these nations away, and they end up running into this group called the Midianites. The Midianites were bad guys. They were the bullies on the block. They had new weaponry that the Israelites had never seen, and it intimidated them, so they stopped pushing forward. So not only did they disobey God by not taking the ground, they also began to, as God warned, do what the, what the Midianites did. They began to worship false gods themselves. They began to go, well, they worship this Baal God. Maybe we should too. And they were living in disobedience. And it's during this time that God begins to raise up leaders that he calls judges in the Old Testament. They're not judges like we have today in our legal system. So I want you to see these judges in the book of Judges Another famous one besides Gideon is Samson. Another famous one is Deborah. You may have heard of these people. They are raised up by God to lead God's people back to him and also lead them forward and advance to push out these nations. That's what they're there to do. And last week we meet Gideon and Gideon is just as disobedient as everyone else. So God does not choose him because he's worthy of it. He just chooses Gideon, watch this, because he wants to. And he tells Gideon, remember last week? We see Gideon, he's hiding in a wine press. He's not out there fighting. And God comes to him and says, you are a mighty man of valor. And we learn something about God that's true in the gospel for us. God declares things over us sometimes before they are reality. He sees things in us and calls it out of us. How many of you are glad God sees who we're gonna be, not just who we are right now? Isn't that the grace of God? He did it with Peter. He knew Peter. Jesus knew Peter was going to deny him three times. But he looks at him and says, they all call you Simon, but I'm calling you Peter. You're going to be a rock. Well, he was not a rock right then. He was a mess. But one day he's going to be a rock. He's he's Peter. God's going to use him in a major way. Jesus could see not just who Peter was in that moment. He could see 
He could see who he was going to be. In fact, the Bible promised, and we looked at it last week, he who begins a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. If you're a believer, you're under construction. You're in a process. Well, we saw Gideon argue with God. God says, you're the one that's going to lead my people. I'm going to raise you up as a judge. Gideon says, you got the wrong guy. And God convinces him, no, you're my guy. So you would think once Gideon says, okay, I'll do what you tell me to do, you would think the first thing to do is to go fight the Midianites, right? They're the bad guys. They're the ones causing all the trouble. But instead of him going out there and fighting the big battle that he's known for, we're going to get there in a few weeks. If you know anything about Gideon, what you probably know is the battle he's going to win. The big battle. Like if you know anything about David in the Bible, you know he killed a giant. And if you know anything about Gideon, you know he's going to win a great battle. But the battle you know about might not be the most important battle he fought. We're going to see that one today. Because the private battle Gideon's going to have to fight first is the one that's going to enable him to fight the public battle that you know about later. That's what we're going to look at right now. Judges 6.25. That night, that night, meaning God calls him. He finally acquiesces to the desires of God and says, yes, I will do what you tell me to do. And it says, that night, the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. Now here's the, here's the first battle. Notice that before God tells Gideon, go out there and take care of them, he says, start with inside. We got a problem inside and that's the first one that has to happen. And amazingly, we get this detail. Gideon is living in a house with a daddy who worships Baal. His father is a Baal worshiper, a false God worshiper. So much so his dad is the one who built the altar to Baal in their little community. It's at his house. People come to Gideon's property to worship a false idol. A false god. It's called an Asherah pole, by the way. They would create these Asherah poles, and it's where people would come, and they would worship. It was like an altar. It'd be bigger than this, more ornate than this, but you get the picture. This would be a false idol and a false altar, and it was at Gideon's house. Now, let me just tell you a lesson we learned right here. Often in the church, because it's easier it's easier to point our finger at the culture around us than it is to look in the mirror at what's going on in us. And by the way, it gets lots of likes on Facebook. If I put on Facebook right now, our culture's terrible and, and all the stuff and sexuality in the culture, and if I do anything about that, if I throw out some political red meat, people just say, amen, brother. But if I put a mirror up for us to look at ourselves, crickets. It's quiet real fast because looking in a mirror is far, far harder than looking at everybody else. Jesus said it like this. He said, sometimes you look at the gnat in everybody else's eye. You got a tree hanging out of your own face. Well, that's not how he said it. That's how I paraphrased it, right? He was making a contrast there for us to understand. It's so easy for us to get all stirred up about what's going on out there. And we use language, them. They are doing all this stuff. And God's going, well, we need to start with us and we inside the house. 
Before you can go down the hill and fight the Midianites, you've got to remove the Baal altar in your own living room. So God demands that his people deal with idols, and here's something to know about him. God will not share the throne of your heart with idols. He will not do it. He will push you and prod you and convict you. And, and, and by the way, for Israel, you see how far he will go. For seven years, he allows the Midianites to rob them and pillage them and make life really hard on them. God allowed it. We saw that last week. And why? Because he wants the Asherah poles gone. Because he will not share the throne of Israel's heart with an idol. He won't do it. And he won't do it with us either. And by the way, I want you to understand that idolatry can come across like an ancient problem. Because we think, well, I don't know anyone with an Asherah pole in their house. I know a lot of parents with a ton of baseball trophies. Oh, man, I thought I'd get an amen on that. Did I insert the spoon in the pot and stir a little too fast? Let me help you. What I'm I'm saying is there's modern idols. There's modern idols, and, and we are idol factories. One great theologian said the human heart is an idol factory. Here's why. Because we were created to worship. Like your body breathes, your heart worships. You do bow down to something. It might even be you. You might bow down to yourself, but there's something that runs your life. You've bought into some system. And the question is, what system have you bought into? And if you have bought into any system other than God, God calls that idolatry. And he will not have it. And he will remove it from your life. If it takes your whole Christian life, that work he began in you, he will work this thing out of you. And he has his ways. And we see him do it. And he'll do it with us, just like he did with them. And we can create all kinds of idols. And by the way, normally, Christians will turn good things into idols. Like our marriages, even our kids can become our idols, which is why I mentioned baseball trophies. It hits close to home. I got athletes as kids. And if I'm not careful, I'll begin to chase after or worship at the altar of things that are not of most import. God commands that we put things in their proper place and get those things off the throne of our heart. In Exodus 23, his first commands to his people and to us says this, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. Hello, Asherah poles for Baal, none of that or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not, and I love this language, you shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. God does not want you bowing down. I want you to, if you want to write in the margins, bowing down in the ancient world looks like, watch this, buying in in the modern world. Bowing down in the ancient world looks like buying in in our world, okay? We buy into the wrong system, and it's idolatry. What is an idol, by the way? How can we define it? Well, theologian Tim Keller helps us with this, a great definition. He says in his book, Counterfeit Gods, which I highly recommend, I brought it here just to show you. This is a copy. You can't get it here. We don't have it here, but jump on anywhere you order books. If you want to go deeper into this topic, this is the best thing I've read on it. Uh, Counterfeit Gods, all about modern idolatry. But here's what he said. An idol is anything more important than God to you, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. And I love this one. Anything that you seek to give you what only God can give becomes an idol. I would add that that thing which 
you seek to give you what only God can give you, you will perpetually be disappointed in that thing, even if it's your spouse. So I remember the movie, uh, what was that movie? Jerry Maguire, Tom Cruise. You complete me. Everybody said, oh. Y'all, we know Tom Cruise. Not all there, guys. Can't listen to Tom. That's not true. You put that weight on your spouse, you'll be perpetually disappointed in them, needlessly so. God didn't give you your spouse to be him. Only he can be him. And in fact, if you'll let God be God and just love and serve your spouse, you will love your spouse more, have more joy in your marriage. One of the best things you can do for your marriage is stop worshiping your spouse. Worship God and love and serve and appreciate your spouse and watch what happens. In fact, some of you are just wearing your kids out. They're not telling you now because they're 11. But when they're 30, they're going to be like, you're killing me, dad. Like you put too much pressure. I felt constant pressure. You want to know why? Because we live in a modern age where parents worship at the altar of their kids. Their kids are the CEOs of their house. And you think you're doing them good. And what what you're doing is putting unbelievable pressure on your children to get it right all the time and be popular and be successful and do great and do. and, And you know what? At the end of the day, You've turned them into a good thing, a blessed thing. You've allowed them to become something that you're looking to give you what only God can give. And when you let God be God and let your kids be kids, you will, oh man, you'll set them free and you free when you do that. Are y'all tracking with me today? This is what God is trying to get us to see. And we can see it in the life of Gideon. And he tells Gideon, before you go after the Midianites, you deal with that altar in your own backyard that has to happen first and what do we learn about how to deal with an idol from just what we just read right here what's the bible tell us about what god demands about idols well here's here it is number one we have to deal with them immediately he says that night i don't want you he says i don't want you going to mcdonald's and having a biscuit in the morning before you handle this pal some of you are like i didn't even know they had mcdonald's back then they didn't. But he wants it immediate. He doesn't want you to mess around. See, some of us play this game where we, I gotta, I'm gonna pray about that. Some things you don't have, did you know there's some things you don't have to pray about? Like God's just been clear about? In fact, I think a lot of delayed disobedience in the modern church flies under the radar of I'll pray about it. Like God's already told you what to do. You don't have to pray about that. So Gideon didn't have to go spend three days praying about whether to remove his daddy's Asherah pole out of the backyard. God said, do it now. It's immediate. So today, how would we deal with idols? We'd go to God and repent now and say, God, help me now. I feel it. I sense it. In one of our gatherings this morning, an awesome person came down and looked at me and said, Chris, you know what my idol is? And God just showed me this morning that I buy too much stuff online. I literally love to show. It was that simple. And God sh- showed this person. And they were like, I see it's so clear. I looked in the mirror. I'm like, this is something that I absolutely, it consumes me. I'm always looking for a deal. I'm always on there. And I watched someone just that simple. God showed them something that was holding them back spiritually. I thought it was awesome that they were that vulnerable and that sensitive to hear God. But it was immediate. They were like, I got to come down and pray about this. Secondly, we see in the scriptures, God wants us to deal with our idols forcefully. Forcefully. Immediate and forcefully. Like change needs to happen. 
the approach, if whatever it is, if money, if having more, you're gonna have to pray about, God, what does this look like for me to live where this is not my idol anymore, where this is not something that I love a little too much? And that's the question we should all ask. What in your life is something you love just a little too much? It's just getting a little too close to your heart. Watch out for that. That's where it is. Thirdly, we see that he wants it done completely. Notice he does not say just move the Asherah pole. He says, I want it destroyed. I want you to destroy the altar to Baal. And so in our lives, you can't mess around with this stuff. It's kind of like if you've got a trainer and you tell them, you know, I want to get in shape. And they're like, all right, we've got to start with a diet. What's your biggest downfall? And let's say you go, man, it's Oreos. I, I take a bite of an Oreo and the whole box is gone. I, I don't even know how it happens, but it's in there. And, and uh, let's, we can all be honest. Oreos are delicious, Right? I mean, we're going to get to heaven and, and there's got, right? There's got to be some Oreos. And in my case, some Kit Kats. Kit Kats are kind of hard for me to deal with too. It's like, ooh. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> the trainer's going to look at you and say, throw them away. Get them out of the house. Get them out of the house because if they're there, this is why God said clear out the promised land. Because he knew that if the Midianites were worshiping Baal every day and they looked like they had their act together and they're so strong and mighty, you're going to be tempted to what? Build yourself one to Baal too. So he said, clear it out. And a good trainer is going to say, get rid of the Oreos. So it's immediate, it's forceful, it's completely. But finally, don't miss this, it's also repentantly. Repentance needs to happen. Now, why is this important? Because God did not just tell Gideon to tear down the Asherah pole to Baal. What did he also say? Build a new altar to me immediately. Where the old one was, you put the one to me. In fact, use the materials of the old one and burn it on top of the altar to me. I don't want that one there anymore, but there has to be a new one to me. In other words, watch this. Don't leave a vacuum. Let's go back to our analogy. If I remove the Oreos from the pantry, well, I, I got to eat something. Because if I don't put something in its place, the right thing in its place, what's going to happen? The magnetic pull, I'm going to go, well, I'll just have the Oreos. So I've got to learn to eat something else that also will fill me better than the other did, right? I got to change. I got to move forward. That's repentance. We're looking at the most visual and visceral picture of repentance here because repentance is not just turning from, it also includes turning to. It's not just from. The guys will put that on the screen to help you out. Repentance is not just turning from, it's turning to. Because if I leave a vacuum, I'm going back. And God says to him, Gideon, don't let, whenever you do this, when, I want you to do it now. I want you to tear down that altar and immediately, I want you to have a new altar to the living God in its place. I want the people, as they see that you tore the one down, to smell the burn immediately of the new. That's what repentance looks like. And so today what we have to do, because we all deal with idols, we all have things we love a little too much, you must stop running after the idol and start running after God. It's a turn from, it's a turn to. And, and many of us, our Christianity looks and has looked like this. God, I'll never do that again. Okay, good, what are you gonna do? We think repentance is turning from and that that's it. Well, I quit doing that. Well, I quit doing this. When I was a kid, it was like, quit listening to bad music, quit going to bad movies, quit dating girls that do. Okay, well, 
Is that it? Because what that is, watch this, that's religion. A turn from without a turn to equals religion. And that's dead as a doornail. That's dead. I don't want dead. But living is when I move from to. I don't want to just say no to the bad. I want to passionately chase after the living God. And that's what he's saying. That's why there's a new altar in place where the old altar stood. And many of us in our lives today, we don't just need to turn from. We need a new altar. We need a new place. We need the gospel to grab onto to fill the vacuum in our hearts and in our lives. To chase after Jesus. Well, that's what we're seeing from Gideon. So he did it. Judges 6.27, Gideon took 10 men of his servants and he did as the Lord had told him. I love that about Gideon, right? But there's a but. And I'm so glad. See, the Bible could have stopped there and we would have thought, oh man, Gideon's the man. Gideon's a hero. I love this. Now he's still very human. But, everyone say but. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. How about that? Now, before we beat him up and go, oh, look at him, what a coward. Well, here's what I would say. I'll take Gideon's way of doing it imperfectly over our way of not doing it at all. At least he did it. And you won't see God getting on him about it because God works through weak people all the time. That's how he works through any of us, right? Gideon obeyed. It, wasn't per- it doesn't look pretty. He waits till dad's good and asleep because he knows dad's not gonna like this because you know what Gideon knows? People love their idols. They love their idols. We white knuckle our idols. So Gideon does it at night. Priscilla Shire, great Bible teacher, says this, the stakes are often higher when the mission field is personal. Isn't that true? It's, the Midianites are actually going to be easier to deal with than his own family and his own people because it's those closest to you often that will challenge you the most when you try to move in the direction of God. In fact, I would say this to you. Courage is not the absence of fear. It is action and obedience even in the face of fear, even when you are afraid. Gideon's afraid. He doesn't know how it's going to work out, but he obeys. And isn't that how, listen, parents in the room, parents, don't let Satan paralyze you because you're not getting it right all the time. Carry on. Continue even though it's scary and it's hard. Keep leading out. Get, listen, I remember when our kids were little, we'd do devotions with our family. It was ne- we never had a perfect one. I'd be reading the scriptures and you'd think a pastor's Kids would all be like, hey, no, holy father. Walk in with little candles and stuff. No, man. They're climbing all over the place. I had one at one time I remember he climbed all the way over the couch, fell over the top of the couch. And you're just sitting here like, what, what, what am I doing? You know, and I'd get frustrated. I'd go Billy Graham on them. Come, come right now to this table. Give your life to the Lord. It's crazy. There's some things I can't even tell you that would happen. While we try to read the Bible, sounds that you don't want to hear. You know what I'm saying? Kids. Yeah, there was no reverence at times. We have to carry on. It's not perfect. But you're moving forward. He was afraid. He did it in the middle of the night. But at least the next morning when the town woke up, there was a new altar in place. And yeah, a coward did it. But at least he did it. Amen? At least he stood up. At least he got after it. He did something. 
He moved forward in obedience to God. But no one, uh, no one was too happy about it. You need to know that. They're going to wake up the next morning. They're mad. Judges 6, 28 through 30. When the men of the town rose early the next morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down and the Asherah beside it was cut down. The second bull was altered on the altar, offered on the altar that had been built. And they said to one another, who has done this thing? And after they had searched and inquired, yep, they found out. It was Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the town said to Joash, bring out your son that he may die, for he has broken down the bell and cut down the Asherah beside it, the altar of Baal. Look at this. You want to know how often people react when you mess with their idols? Our culture's that way. Our culture will cancel you now. Now, I'm not telling you that we don't deal with what's out there. He's going to fight a battle against the Midianites, but you got to deal with inside first. But we look like the new attack right now in our culture, watch for it, is that you Christians, churches, you can't say, don't say that the Bible is clear. This is the new thing. You can't say an ancient document is clear. The Bible's not clear about things. There's different, all these different ways of looking at it. You can't be clear. Folks, let me tell you why there's an attack on the clarity of Scripture. Because if there's no clarity, there's no authority. I have no authority if I don't have clarity. But can I make clear to you today this? The Bible is absolutely clear about things. The Bible is absolutely clear about a lot of things that we can stand on. And when there is clarity, there's authority. And when there's authority, there is, listen to me, church, accountability. So humans want to place in the Bible a level of ambiguity that simply is not there. But when you get clear, like Gideon is, now there's no ambiguity. That pole is gone. That altar's been torn down. There is no ambiguity. Radical clarity will attract and repel. So much so that some of them want to kill him. No one's giving him a t-shirt saying you're a hero. No one's giving him high fives. They won't do it for you either. Be aware. It's tough. You start raising your kids differently than anyone else, and you're going to get some push back. You want to know why? Because people love idols. You start leading your children to follow Jesus, start living your life in a different way than those around you, Stop chasing materialism. Stop chasing this. Stop chasing that. You begin to live with a clarity that's setting you free. You'll have some that it'll attract. They'll say, hey, what's going on? Others might even hate you for it. I'm just warning you. Be aware of that. That's what happens to Gideon. Mm. But he did it. And it made a new day. It set a new day. You know what's amazing is sometimes the people closest to you will try to pull you away from that level of clarity. It's like if you try to, try to get in shape, your best friends, you go to lunch with them and they're trying to order you the chicken wings and the bucket of ranch. Because they don't like your new level of clarity, right? Hey, man, I'm, try, I'm not trying to eat right. Like, oh, come on, man, we're just having lunch. They'll even go so far to order for you. You know what I mean? Like, no, no, he's not getting a salad. You bring him the 42 wings right now, 42 of them. <laughs> I, not the little cup of ranch, whole bucket of it. You're going to eat them, you know? It's like they can't. Your clarity suddenly makes them uncomfortable. Watch this. Because when you are clear with your idols, it shines a spotlight on their own. They'd rather keep you. See, that morning when Gideon tore down the one and put up a new altar and they walk out, they are being confronted with their own ambiguity about God. And this is how we are to deal with our idols. You say, well, 
Can idols be a modern thing? Do we still deal with it? Yes, we do. And the Bible, thankfully, gracefully, in the New Testament, in 1 John, tells us what our idols look like. This is where we're going to land the plane today. But I want you to see the scriptures. This is, truly, I say this all the time. This one, I just love this. And it's because of the word world in these verses. Okay, so I want you to write this down. The word world in these verses is unlike the others in the Bible. This one is the Greek word cosmos. Cosmos. It means a system or a way of doing things. Get that in mind. When it says world, it's talking about a system or a way of doing things. What you buy into. Look what it says. Do not love this world. What is that again? The cosmos is this system and way of doing things. It says, if anyone loves this world, the love of the Father is not in him. And then in verse 16, it says, for all. Everyone say, for all. That means he's about to tell you our idols. Here's where your idols and mine fall into place. And there's three compartments. For all that is in this world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father. It is from this world. So God, through his word, says to us modern Christians, he says, hey, be aware. Every idol that's ever existed came out of these three categories. Pride of the eyes, pride of life, the desires of the flesh. I feel, so therefore I want. I see it, I must have it, and look at who I am and what I've done. Some form of that leads to every idol that's ever been. And we bow our knee to it. Remember that language, bow down. And here's what I'll say to you today. For all of us, because I want you to internalize this. Following Jesus, just like following the living God in the ancient Israel, following Jesus requires that we bow down to God's way of doing things, system. But that requires bowing out of the world system. To bow down to God, I got to bow out of this one. God won't let you have a membership at Gold's Gym and Planet Fitness at the same time. Okay? He's like, you can't buy into my system and stay bought into the world's. For you to bow down to me, you're going to have to bow out of that. You're going to have to make me first. That's radical. That's clear. That's next level. It's both repelling and attracting, but it is what he calls us to. And so today, here's how we want to end our time together. Right now, some of our team's going to come, and we just want a prayer time. And this happened in the first gathering, and, and, and it was beautiful, and we hope it will happen now. You certainly, there's nothing magical about coming down, but there is something visceral about coming down and praying and maybe finding a, a, a person. So right now, our team's going to come. we got men. Well, I think John and April are coming from Worship on the Water. we got some of our others uh, who are coming right now, and they're going to get in place. And I'm going to just pray, and then on my amen, I'm going to invite anyone who wants to come and, and just join with one of us to pray over you about idols you may have in your life. And I think God has probably shown you what they are. The Holy Spirit's probably pointed some stuff out. And I would say, come down and let's pray. Let's pray over those things. It happened already today. I'd love to see it happen for you. And so if you would, would you just stand all over this room? And I'm gonna let the Holy Spirit do his work. And I'm gonna walk off this stage from preaching. I'm gonna get down here by Pastor TC and pray with you too. And on my amen, if you feel like, hey, I don't wanna leave today without bringing this to the Lord. I want to turn from and turn to. We can do that today. 
Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for your word and grace. Would you move in this moment for us now? Thank you for your word. Help us to be like Gideon, fearfully even to come and obey. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And now would you just come as they begin to worship, would you just come and let's have a time where we get real serious about the Lord. And if you're just sitting in your seat right now, just pray right where you are. But if you would like a pastor or minister to pray for you, would you just come right now? And I would love if you're gonna leave right now, if you would just do so reverently and quietly since we have so many people praying. But it'd be awesome if you could hang out for a minute. It'd be awesome if you could hang out for a minute and spend some time praying. Would you just bow your heads where you are? And if anyone would come right now and just come and spend some moments in prayer and say, Lord, this is my idol. This is what you've shown me today. As they worship, you do that now.